This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good late afternoon and early evening, dear listeners. Thank you for your patience. We're starting a little bit later than usual, but it's still a delight to welcome you on Teachers Talk Radio. We are Sunday, the 11th of June, and we're starting at 20 past five. Today's topic is communication. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good late afternoon and early evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 39 radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have been living in the United Kingdom since 2008, and I'm also a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach both humanities and languages, French to KS4, Spanish to KS3, as well as geography and history. I also have experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at profprofmfl. All views are my own. So today I would like to focus on the topic that's relevant to any human beings and to educators in particular. And the podcast will be on the topic of communication. This podcast is mostly relevant to any human being interested in reflecting on the topic of communication. People work in schools and institutions and the curious and savvy. So first, let's always look back at words and their etymology, their origin and their history. What does communication mean? Communication means imparting or exchanging information. So this is the very generic definition. Now, communication comes from a Latin word, as most English words do, and it's communicare, which means to share in Latin. So I really love that etymology because it shows that communication is about sharing. It's something we do to bring togetherness. It's something we do to be together. So there's a very inclusive origin to the word communication. Now, communication is the basis of any society, whether it is a human society or an animal one. We do communicate in all regions of the world. Animals communicate as well. And this communication ensures the cohesion of a group. It's sharing and exchanging. It's becoming closer. If we look at prehistoric communication, um, we had obviously very proto uh, early forms of communicating, but we are not aware of what they were like because there is no re record of it. But we can suggest that if we look at other hominids, such as chimpanzees, 
we can see that they have also forms of communicating. Now, a study has been made in uh, the Thai National Park in the African country of Ivory Coast, where 46 chimpanzees who live in a community, in a society, have been studied, and we were looking at their vocalization and the sounds they were making to communicate with one another. And it appears that they do not so much as have words, but they have phonetic sorts of combinations of sounds. And these sounds are pretty much like grunting or chirping, but they have almost 400 combinations of these sounds. And for each sound, it means an object or um, an action which is a very interesting discovery. And uh, I have read that even chimpanzees can lie, which is the downside of communication. Um, the study was looking at the sound that chimpanzees would make um, when there is a threat. And there was one chimpanzee who was on the ground and he found a fruit or some sort of food item. And another chimpanzee was a little bit further away in the bushes and that chimpanzee made the combination of sound for danger so the first chimpanzee ran up a tree to escape from danger and in the meantime as this the first chimpanzee was diverted um, his attention was diverted the second chimpanzee was hiding in the bushes ran and got the food item and ate it for himself. So you can see that communication is not just a preserve of humans and that lying is also a tool for chimpanzees. Now, obviously you're gonna say 400 words, that's amazing, yes, but let's compare it to the average uh, British person. A 20 year old person living in the UK has a knowledge and use of almost 42,000 words. So the chimpanzees still have a long way to go. Um, these data, this data was from Science magazine. So obviously, communication is not just the preserve of humans. As I said, many, many species have it. Uh, we know whales, sperm whales have a, a very complex system of communicating. And even prairie dogs also have different sounds uh, if the danger comes from an eagle or from a predator on um, four legs on the ground. So we are not the only ones who communicate. Now, our communication started becoming uh, unique compared to all the other animals on the planet in the prehistoric times because we started uh, painting. And this is the difference between most animals and us humans is that we do use art to communicate. So if you are interested in prehistoric communication means you can have a look at the Lascaux cave. Lascaux is a little hamlet a village in France and um, in the 1950s two children were playing in um, the forest and they arrived near a cliff and inside the cliff they found a hole and then they went in and discovered a prehistoric cave. Lascaux is located in uh, west southern France and it's between Limoges and Toulouse if you're interested in driving around in France. You cannot visit the actual cave because the 
the way we breathe would damage uh, the, the carbon would uh, damage the actual painting. So a new cage has been made, a complete copy of the original one. And um, you can visit it. It's an amazing place. You can see that prehistoric people were using communication with paint by drawing animals, herds, or also by um, doing handprints on the walls. Now, our communication since the prehistoric time hasn't stopped evolving, improving, I hope, and um, diversifying. Sorry. So the first means of communication, well, there's four types. So let's look at general communication and what that means. I mentioned um, the prehistoric Lascaux cave. This is visual communication with the use of paint and drawing. Visual communication means that someone else is going to look at the cave walls and understand what the person tried to symbolize or communicate. In that case, uh, there were drawings of animals such as horses, uh, ancestors of horses, obviously, and uh, aurochs, ancestors of cows, and other animals that were alive in the prehistoric time. So that's the first type, visual communication. Then there is a verbal communication, the one that other animals are using. Verbal communication is any form of communication. So it could be just sounds, it could be chirping, it could be clicking, which is still used in uh, some languages. And it can also be uh, phonetic sounds, syllables and words. Now, there's other types of communication that we quite often underplay or undervalue. There is nonverbal communication. That's the third type. Nonverbal communication is what we do with our body while we are talking or maybe when we don't want to talk and we use our body instead. So, for instance, we can use sign language. But we can also use something that teachers are very familiar, and that's the teacher stare. This is the stare we do with our eyes when we want someone to stop doing what they're doing. And most parents will relate. We know what teacher stare is and a mother stare as well. It's uh, very potent communicatively, and it's pretty clear what it means. Now, there's the last type of communication and this is a written communication so that one we are familiar with it the first occurrence of human writing is quite old and it was not in europe it was not in africa it was in ancient china so the earliest writings we have discovered in china are from 1400 before um, common era quite a long time ago, and there were sort of um, markings made with, um, made on turtoise shells, made with a scrapula, and it's uh, in order to count crops. So it was agricultural uh, tools. The writing was first an agricultural tool to uh, remember how much, how much, how many crops were grown. And this happened during the Shang dynasty as well. And then it moved from turtoise shells to bronze and later to paper, which was invented in China around the first century BCE.
So we've gone through the types of communication, nonverbal, visual, verbal, written. Let's think about nonverbal. We think nonverbal is not so potent, but actually it is extremely important. Nonverbal is all the other ways we have to communicate. So as I mentioned, it can be the body, the hands, the eyes, but it can also be the posture and the facial expressions and the intonation. And these nonverbal aspects of communication account for 70% of the meaning. So we underplay it, but it is actually very important. The same sentence, for instance, I believe you, can be said in many different ways with intonation. And if you add a laugh, or if you add an eyebrow rise, or if you add a smirk, which you can't even hear, but you can see, the I believe you has a completely different meaning. So communication is mostly nonverbal. And this is why, as well, um, we have written communication that sometimes misses the mark and is seen as unproductive because an email or a text or a letter does not convey the same message as something that is spoken face to face. We realized the importance of speaking face to face during the pandemic when we were on lockdown. And although we could use visuals and we could hear the people and see their facial expressions with um, all the um, Zoom and Teams and software we use to communicate, we realized how important it was to convey a message face to face. Now, communication, as I said, is about creating links and bonds between people. It's about protection. Remember the chimpanzees and the prairie dogs that use warning for danger. Uh, it's safeguarding and it's basically the building step of society. If we want a community that functions well, we need effective communication. And this is why it's so important to be aware of communication, its pitfalls and its advantages almost as a science, um, because this is something we all do, we all need, and we all benefit from if it's done accurately. Now, in the work environment, communication takes different forms. We talked about the main forms of communications for early humans and also for prehistoric humans. We talked about nonverbal, written, visual, and verbal. Now there's, in a work environment, other types of communication, because remember, the more we develop as human beings, the more our societies develop, and the more our communication tools evolve and diversify. So the four main types of communication in a work environment are upward, downward, lateral, and external communication. This is not about geometry, I reassure you, but there's a meaning behind it. So the upward communication is communication that is exchanged from the bottom of the hierarchy, whether it's an institution or a country. So think about all the employees, for instance, all the workers, they might uh, give information that goes up to the top to the CEO. For instance, um, we are struggling with ordering this or that for this or that reason. Then there's downward communication, and that's the opposite of upward communication, obviously. It's communication that goes from the top to the bottom. So the CEO says, 
our sales have gone up. Well done, everybody. That would be a downward communication. Now, lateral communication seems now pretty obvious. It's when you exchange information with people who are at the same level in the hierarchy or work with you on the same, uh, in the same department. And external communication is all the communication that goes from within an institution, a school, a hospital, a company, a multinational, and goes outward to people who are not involved in that institution, whether they are from a different country or just a different place in the country or just another company. Or in a school setting, it would be a communication to the parents or to the local authority or to social services or the police or anyone else who might be involved in school affairs. So it is getting more complicated as we see now we have a special communication within uh, an institution. But if we look at school and remember, this is a podcast for teachers made by teachers and for anyone else who's interested in education. So in a school, communication takes a very different meaning because obviously you have the classroom communication which is communication from teacher to student student to teacher or student to student and this is going to be just like the early types of hominid communication as i'm going to call it it can be face to face it can be verbal non-verbal it can be written and it can be visual but there's way more other forms now, way more. We have um, paper communication and schools are very um, devour paper, use a lot of paper still, even in our digital age. So a school could promote, for instance, its summer fair using leaflets, posters and signs and billboards. We could also have, for instance, uh, critical information such, such as the school will be closed because of snow or because of um, a strike. This would be usually by email or on a paper letter. Then you can also have um, resources printed and given out to the parents or to the students. And you can also have fundraising attempts. So we have a lot and a lot of other ways of communication that are not particularly classroom communication. And then you also have now the more and more, the bigger importance of social media. We have schools on Twitter informing the community about events, um, celebrating achievements. For instance, if the local school has won a championship in basketball or just a uh, pictures of homework that was really um, to praise because of its quality, videos, songs, assembly, drama, plays, etc. So within a communication, within a school, communication takes hundreds of different shapes. And it's really interesting to see how diversified it is nowadays, because as I said, it can be a leaflet, it can be a video, it can be a tweet, it can be a booklet, a paper notice, it can be so many things. A text message now and also um, phone messages as well. So a medium is very important for a school and the schools use different media. 
We use the school website now. Every school has a website. We use mobile apps. We use softwares. We use notification and alerts. We use email, text messages, social media, and video. This is all in the digital age. This was not relevant in the 80s, and it started in the 90s. And now no school can be a school without a website, really. So all these ways of communicating are very important, but does it make communication more effective? Well, this is a very tricky question, and I'm sure there's careers to be made out of that in consultancy on communication. Despite all the means we have to communicate, very often I get parents who complain to me that they are not informed of their children's progress, of their children's behavior, of what would help their children, etc. So it seems that we have so many media and yet communication is still work in progress. How can we make it better? How can we make it more effective? Does it have to be personalized all the time? Well, if we look at public relations, social media is usually very useful. If we, use, if we look at pro event promotion, paper can be maybe better. I'll give you an example. If you're a parent, you might read on the school website that there will be an open day in, no in November at a particular date. But then you have to log on to that date on your personal calendar. And that task, amongst all the tasks you have to do in a day, might be forgotten. Having a letter sent to all parents that is physical and on paper might be easier because what do parents do usually when they get a paper letter? They put it on the fridge with a magnet. And maybe I'm just old school, but I think it's the best way for me to remember because even though I have notices on my Google Calendar, I do often forget events unless I have seen it on my fridge every day, every time I open the fridge. So there is very, very useful tools in the digital age, but sometimes a magnet and a piece of paper is the best way to make sure you do not forget that event. Obviously, if it's a document that is uh, important for safeguarding or safety, also paper is very, very useful because once you keep the paper, it is evidence that you can use in any case at court or for the police or for any sort of situation. Digital documents are very useful and we rely on them a lot. But remember that schools and the NHS have been regularly hacked and an IT system is never impregnable. So having paper records of important permission slips for trips or uh, data about allergies and medical uh, records might also be good to have on paper as a backup. Now, key facts. More than 70% of uh, parents who have children um, in schools, so parents are usually aged over 25 and less than 54. And 70% of these parents have access to smartphones. So this means that you can reach 75% of families by using social media, digital resources, and apps. 
Now, it appears that amongst these uh, parents, most of them prefer texting rather than voice calls. And I guess it's just a matter of ease. A text is something you can check at any time without having to uh, use headphones or to play a record. So texting is always preferred. And for every text message sent, 10 emails are sent. So it seems that we favor emails, but sometimes text messages can do the job much easier. Most favored means of communicating are text messages because they are easy to see. You just get a notification straight on your screen, on your phone, and they're the best for emergency. Emails are very, very useful, but when you sometimes have hundreds of emails per day, you might the information might get diluted and the communication might become faulty and ineffective. Paper, as I said, is a very good for evidence purposes. It's, you, it's inclusive as well because some people also do not have access to their smartphone or to the internet. Videos are becoming also very, very favored and this is more useful when you have to do a tutorial or teach a parent how to use a payment platform, for instance. So whether it's live streaming events or recording for posting at a later time, Video is uh, usually something that parents enjoy watching because it captures the, their children doing um, plays and sport events and it allows people to capture, chronicle and archive very good positive school content. What is the current trend in communication in schools? Well, whenever you have school content that needs to be shared, we usually think about all the ways we can share the information and we try and find the best one that can um, reach out to most parents. Now, we also have to make sure that this information is not uh, misused because we also have confidentiality um, necessities. So we usually like using multimodal platforms, we rely on a blog or announces on the website and having an interactive school website that contains policies but also um, term dates is the norm. So what is the best way to communicate when you work in an institution but also in a school? We'll um, have a look at the most effective ways of communicating after a news break. So stay tuned. We'll be back very soon. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. 
To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC reports that one in three primary schools has no male teachers. The study by the Warwick Business School says the proportion of schools without a male classroom teacher has increased in the last 12 months. The report's author, Dr Joshua Fullard, said this lack of male teachers was bad for pupils. Dr Fullard is Assistant Professor of Behavioural Science at Warwick Business School. He went on to say that there is a large body of research that shows students benefit from being educated by a teacher with certain similarities to them. The report also found that schools in special measures are less likely to have a male classroom teacher. In total, the report found that 24.3% of all state schools in England had no male classroom teachers. The report called for teachers' pay to be raised by more than 10% and for a merit-based reduction in tuition fees for university-led teacher training to be introduced. Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy for Askell Union, said more needed to be done to attract men and women alike, and a spokesperson for the DfE said the department wanted the profession to be inclusive. Northeast Child Poverty Commission website reports that new figures published by the DfE confirm that more than three in ten pupils across the northeast are now registered for free school meals. This is an increase from January 2022. It remains the highest proportion of any part of England. The figure of 30.4% is compared with 18.8% of pupils in the southeast and 19.4% in the east of England. The England-wide rate is 23.8%. All regions have seen a significant increase in the number and share of children eligible for free school meals over the last seven years. The Guardian reports children's enjoyment of writing has fallen to crisis point following research completed by the National Literacy Trust. The charity says an alarmingly low level of children and young people enjoy writing. The research was conducted across the UK. 34.6% of young people aged 8 to 18 said that they enjoy writing in their free time. Although three in four children starting school said that they enjoyed writing, this dropped to one in four by the age of 16. The Children's and Young People's Writing Report is drawn from over 70,000 responses from children to the charity's annual literacy survey. The number of children who say they enjoy writing in their free time has dropped by 12.2% in the 13 years since the survey began. Young people do report that they write to improve mental health and well-being and to support causes or issues they care about. Full details can be found on the National Literacy Trust website. Finally, Microsoft News reports that Taiwan has made the move to use Generative Artificial Intelligence, or AI, to help students learn English. Teachers in the country often report that students read and write better than they speak English, as shyness and a lack of practice can hinder oral communication. A new chatbot has been funded by Taiwan's Ministry of Education to help pupils get the practice they need. The Cooley bot allows pupils to speak person to AI, and build up conversation on preset topics. It also assesses punctuation, accuracy and fluency. Taiwan has set a goal of becoming bilingual in Chinese and English by 2030.
This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to ask you a question. Do you use presentation software to help you deliver your lessons? 99% of you will be saying yes at this point. Have you ever considered how many presentations the average pupil in your school sees in a day, in a week, or even in their entire school life? Considering a typical secondary education, with a bit of rough maths, over a week with five lessons a day, there's potential to see 25 presentations. That's 100 presentations in just four weeks. I've left out any additional presentations like assemblies and visitors, etc. Working on a 38-week year, that's a whopping 950 presentations a year. That's a lot of presentations. Now, let's throw in some schools have a standardised slide theme and set layouts. Now we have 950 exactly the same lesson beginnings. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or are they being presented with the same visual stimulus day in, day out, simply causing them to fly below the radar. If you're like me, you're now thinking, how do I make my presentation stand out? Is there a presentation software out there that's better than all the rest? In my humble opinion, this is like the visualizer versus HD webcam argument. What works for some does not work for others because all subjects are not the same, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but please bear in mind that what works for one teacher may not work for another. A search for free presentation software returns no less than 24 apps I recognise. Some are interactive like Mentimeter, others have more dynamic transitions like Prezi. Most also have additional features and add-ons you can purchase. I know what you're saying, come on Steve, which is the best though? Well the answer is simple, but I've run out of time, so I'll have to tell you next week. In the meantime, please consider the number of presentations a typical pupil is subjected to in your school. Does this need to change, or does it work? And how do you know? Do you have a preferred presentation software and what are the features that make it stand out for you? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So dear listeners, it was interesting to listen to the news because it dealt with today's topic, which is communication. Um, Two-minute text dealt with um, visual communication with the use of slides. And it was really interesting to see how many slides the students or presentation the students are um, seeing per week. This is something to think about as a teacher, definitely. Now, we did mention earlier in a podcast that there were two types, uh, four types, of communication, nonverbal, verbal, visual, and written. Then we talked about the business setting with the fact that in an institution, there is the upward communication towards the top, downward towards the employees, lateral communication between employees, and then external with other um, community or institutions or people who don't, wo- don't work in the same institution. Now we're looking at what makes communication effective, because if communication is sharing information, if it's creating links and bonds between individuals in the same community, how can we make it as positive and efficient as possible? So if we look at the first communication, the classroom run, which is teacher to student, student to teacher, or student to student, what can make uh, effective communication effective? 
Well, first, the key is to work on the content. And there's obviously the three skills, written, speaking, and also the listening skills. It is really important to teach very young children from the age of one or two in nursery to be able to do these three skills, to be able to speak, but also to be able to listen. That's a very important skill, the listening skills. Um, it is very important that we also, as teachers, make sure our knowledge of our subject is top-notch because successful teaching is not just about knowledge, but it's also about communication skills. So if our knowledge is top-notch, then we need to focus on the communication skills. So good communication is accurate. We don't want to use the wrong word. It might lead to misunderstandings and arguments and conflicts. Then good communication needs to be relatively fast um, because if we have students, particularly students with special educational needs, and our thoughts are meandering and we're not going straight to the point, we might lose their um, focus and they might just forget about the um, information we're giving them. So accurate, the point needs to be made quite fast. Uh, the earlier the better with younger students and then you can get uh, to a little bit more complex information if you teach uh, adults. Now, you also need to maintain contact when you are being an effective communicator. And also, the most important thing we have to do is to remain in accordance with our values. So we should only communicate what we think fits the school values. If your school values are respect, tolerance, uh, excellence, and... Um, serving the community, your communication should reflect it in its content, but also in its delivery. It's not just the message, it's also the sender and the receiver, but it's also the way it is conveyed. And because we're in England and culturally praise is a very important part of communication, we need to add this to the mix. Uh, it is something I'm learning to do because I'm a French uh, citizen and we do not use praise as much in France, whereas in England, it is a very uh, important part of communication. Now, when we want to be an, an effective communicator, and this is something I think about a lot because I obviously teach, but also do a podcast and podcasting is a recent tool of digital communication and it's opened up many doors but it also raises a few questions to be an effective communicator you need to have emotional intelligence you need to think about what your listener is gonna feel when they hear you and you need to also think about the weight of the words you're using so you need emotional quotient how is it linked to communication well Communication depends on emotional intelligence. If you want to be a good communicator, you need to think about what other people will feel when they hear you. Communication, communication changes a lot, whether it's written, verbal or digital. I'll give you an example. If you write a text and then read it out, 
for podcast, your text might have to be tweaked and changed and altered so that it fits the format of the podcast. If um, you are presenting in front of students, you might also tweak and change and alter your original text. So definitely the medium has an impact on the nature of the message. The way we feel also influences our communication style. And this is why there's nothing more true than if you have to write an email when you're angry, you should save it, but you should not send it. I mean, we've all done it and we've all regretted it. And I think it's the best piece of advice you can give to anyone who wants to improve their communication. Save your draft when you are raising an issue that makes your heart beat faster because you let your emotions take over the act of communicating. So make sure you control your communicating tool. Don't be too critical and don't patronize. And if you feel like doing it, maybe you need to remove yourself from the situation a little bit, either physically asking for uh, someone from SLT to come and help you if you're feeling like you are not going to be able to communicate in a positive way or in an effective way. Take five minutes, have a breather, come back. And if it's a communication that is not face-to-face -face and not verbal but written, make sure you save your draft, sleep on it overnight, and then go back to it. And you will see in the light of dawn that your tone was maybe not the best tone to use and that being putting that distance is really important. So... As a rule, we should always check when we're communicating with someone that we stand from a calm, paused and a clear position. We should not let our emotions take over. And we should also think about when we are listening and having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone, we should always value these two skills the speaking and the listening. So make sure you do 50-50. If you're having a meeting with someone, you shouldn't be talking all the time. If you do, it's defective communication. If you have a meeting with someone, you should make sure you, you add time for listening to the other person. If you are struggling with dealing with your emotions or if you're struggling to find words to express yourself, the best tip is to stop and ask the person to repeat what they said or you can also rephrase so you might say am i hearing you well did you say this and this and that am i correct and by doing this you allow yourself to have a breather in the conversation you are paraphrasing or rephrasing or you can ask the person to repeat or summarize, but you are trying to get the point in a clearer way. And remember, effective communication is always about clarity. And now, something that we need to practice because it's one of our core values, uh, also named British values, um, we should be tolerant of other people's views and we should try not to judge. So whenever you're confronted with a 
conversation that might lead to a conflict, you should always try to remember these tips. Ask for the person to clarify what they said. Rephrase or paraphrase, repeat or summarize. Take time. You can ask the person, am I correct in thinking you said this and that? And try not to think um, and act on your feet if you're angry. Try to put some distance. It is always better to be proactive and supportive than reactive. So if you're in a situation where you feel like your emotions are taking control, then ask for help or delay. You can always say, I don't think this is the right time to have this conversation. Let's plan another meeting. And then you get your calendar out and you plan another meeting. What are the golden rules for effective communication in a business setting or in a school environment? Well, these rules can work for anything that implies having an exchange of information. There's 10 principles, so we're going to go through each of them and maybe give a little example. First, there is clarity, and I wouldn't stress that enough. I happen to live uh, in my household with people who do have attention deficit disorders, which is a special educational needs. And when I give information, I realize that sometimes I voice exactly what I'm thinking, but I am not making my message very clear. For instance, I would say, oh, we need to buy milk, but we also need vegetables. So maybe we should go to the shop and then get this. And then we have to pick up this and that. So let's do it. And in that piece of information, I'm suggesting that there's an order to follow, maybe go to the shops and pick this and this and that. But then before that, we need to pick someone up. This is not clear enough for someone who has an attention deficit disorder. So my clarification would be, first, we need to pick so-and-so from the station. And then later on, after a certain amount of time, I would have to say, then we need to go to the shop and we will buy this, this and this. So clarifying um, your message and also prioritizing what needs to be done first is essential. So make sure your communication is always as clear as possible and if needed, cut it in chunks. Now, the second golden rule of communication is to be focused on uh, the person you're talking to. If you are um, talking to a colleague, you need to think that this is an adult and you need to alter the way you communicate so that it matches uh, an adult's needs. If you're talking to a child, it will be a different sort of communication. If you're talking to a member of the public, again. So you need to base your message on the recipient of the message. It seems like something that we should all do naturally, that depends on common sense, but some people really struggle with, with talking to children. They're not used to it. And they might be patronizing as well, rather than taking children for individuals. And also some people who might work a lot with children end up talking to adults the way they talk to children, which is usually conflicting. So um, prone to create conflicts. So maybe we should always remember 
I'm talking to an adult here. I need to talk in a specific way. The third golden rule is to be concise. So I guess this is going back to clarity, not adding too much content and being straight to the point. The fourth golden rule is to use correct grammar. And this is mostly for verbal, but also written communication. It is important to respect the rules of a language and to speak um, in the most formal way. This is for business or um, a school setting, obviously. The fifth golden rule is to be current. So it means that the message should be adapted to the times when it's delivered and to the needs. There is no point talking about snow days when it's this sort of weather as today. So let's just keep to the time we are facing. The sixth golden rule is to give concrete um, communication, which means backed by evidence. We should not use uh, unclear data. We should always try to speak as accurately as possible. So if you can, give some stats and give the source where you got the statistics from. The seventh golden rule is to be careful. What do I mean by careful? I mean appropriate. If you're talking to a child about um, family life, you might not want to broach the same topics as if you're talking to a teenager or an adult. So always remember that you need to address the person in front of you and adapt to that person's age, development and knowledge. The eighth golden rule is confidentiality. And we all know how important in our daily life in our digital daily life that confidentiality is precious you shouldn't um, divulge personal private information too much i know in the school you sometimes have to deal with a lot of private information and data it's important you um, cover names uh, when you share data. Too often documents are used in a meeting and then they can be left on a desk. It is really, really, really important that anything relating to staff or students is not left um, without being um, just blacked out if it's needed. The ninth golden rule is to be complete. So don't forget crucial information. You're taking the children on a school trip. It's a summer day trip. Please remember to add that children need sun cream and sunglasses and hats. It's a matter of safeguarding and medical um, welfare. Now, the tenth and final golden rule is to check for understanding. And this is the one we teachers forget a lot. We deliver great lessons. We spent a lot of time planning. We deliver great CPDs and presentations. It could be on a TED talk on the internet. And yet we forget to say, oh, by the way, what does this mean? Or what did you understand about this? Or do you have any questions? Or we need to make sure the person gathered the important information we were trying to deliver and sometimes by asking questions we might discover that most of the information has been misunderstood and when it happens we need to find another way to be um, clear concise focused careful confidential complete and using cor cor correct grammar
So these were the 10 golden rules of informed, effective communication. They seem obvious, but I think we really need to remember them whenever we are communicating to anyone in our business or school setting. In order to make sure the way we communicate is the best way, we need to plan. There's nothing in life that we can really do um, without planning. Forward planning is necessary to ensure good communication. So for that, you need a communication plan. Now, if you're lucky to have enough staff, you can have a PA or a secretary who specializes in communicating and you can send anything that's written that needs to be sent about external communication, for instance, letter to parents or requests to the police or British transport or anything that involves other institutions. You can have it uh, proofed and approved by one member of staff whose job it is to follow these uh, communication golden rules. If you're short of time, sometimes you need to do it yourself and you don't have time to have it uh, proofread. Well, having a communication plan doesn't take that long. You just need a, a piece of paper, scrap paper, and then you write goal, target, channel, key message, and style. You just write these four terms. For the goal, you put the goal, the aim of your message. For instance, to request... Um, I don't know, a letter from the local council. Target audience, someone who works at the local council. Channel of communication, email. Key message, um, deadline, uh, nature of the object you need. And then style, just official. And by just having answered these four goal, goal, target, channel of communication, and key message and style, five, my bad, can't count. Um, by having answered these five principles, you're ready to write a message that is appropriate and that might not need to be proofread by someone else. And this works for anything. It could be a phone call to parents, and it's always good to have a few notes next to you when you make a phone call because you can refer to it again and keep on track and on task. Now, there are ways that prevent effective communication. And if you are in a dysfunctional institution, effective communication is not going to work. Uh, there's a great writer you can check out. She's called Amy C. Edmondson, and she's an American scholar. She works uh, at Harvard as a professor of leadership. So she's very, very aware of institutions and how they operate. She wrote many books in uh, 2000. Um, oh, she started uh, very early in 1987, but the most recent are the ones you might want to look at. There's the Fearless Organization in 2018. There's Teaming in 2012, Teaming to Innovate in 2013, and 2016, she published Building the Future. And in this, she talks and develops her theory, which is psychological safety. What does psychological safety mean? It means, do we feel safe voicing out what we think? Are we feeling that we can express ourselves 
at work, in a meeting, with colleagues, and also with our leadership. And if we do not feel psychologically safe, we are in a dysfunctional institution where effective communication is not working. So, in the Fearless Organization, in her book, Amy C. Edmondson is looking at how we can make more institution be psychologically safe. It is really important if we want uh, t teachers to stay at work. Uh, there's a reta teacher retention crisis, remember? And also, if we want anyone who works in an institution to be innovative and to try things out and to improve um, working conditions and also pro productivity, it is really important that everybody feels like they are going to be heard and that they can enter a dialogue that's constructive. So in her book, The Fearless Organization, um, Amy Edmondson is, is saying that the traditional culture of I need to fit in in this institution and I need to do well and I need to nod is um, detrimental to making it uh, more innovative. And it becomes um, ossified because no one dares challenging anything. So being in a psychologically safe institution is a place where you feel like you can voice out anything and that you will be able to talk it out with your colleagues. So vertical communication that comes from the bottom, from the top, my apologies, with a very strong hierarchy and that filters down towards the employees at the bottom is not usually the best way to have an innovative business. It can kill innovation because it doesn't encourage communication. So um, according to Amy Edmondson, there's uh, eight ways to promote having a very healthy psychological safety in the workplace. First, you, we need to have a team that feels like we are part of it. So having team players. Second, we need to make sure that everybody is understood. Third, we need to stop blaming we can't say, oh, such and such didn't, so-and-so didn't do this. We need to be like, um, this thing didn't work. Could we make it better? Instead of naming names, for instance. Um, we need to also be self-aware as leaders and as workers. We need to nip negativity in the bud. So if someone is starting by being negative and hurtful, we need to tell them, this is not the way we do uh, conflict resolution. Maybe we should have a meeting at a later stage when emotions don't run so high. We should also make sure our team is included in decision making. So this is democratic principles in decision making. And this is really lacking in the UK particularly in the school system. Too often, the head teacher resembles um, prime minister and then the workers are the teachers and they need to do what the prime minister decided. This is not democratic enough and this is not innovative. Leadership needs to be open to feedback. The workers also, the teachers need to be open to feedback and feedback needs to be constructive. And then we need to champion our team. We need to make sure everybody feels like they want to do better because this is how we um, make a better institution. So psychological safety is when we can actually communicate effectively in a school or in a business setting. 
Now, is your institution fostering psychological safety? I'm going to ask you. Do you feel like you can uh, talk openly? Do you feel respected when you voice um, anything? Uh, is your institution transparent? Is there trust between the workers and the um, leadership? Are there very clear expectations for everyone? Can we reframe failure and mistake as an opportunity to learn rather than blaming when there's a mistake done? And do we have a supportive and consultative approach to leadership? Does leadership listen, not just talk? So you can see how it's important when we analyze what communication is to see it as something that needs to be practiced and a skill that needs to be embedded in everything we do. And it's like a muscle. And the more we work it, the better it gets and the stronger it gets. But if we are not working it properly, it can lead to injury. And I would say the teacher retention crisis is a sign that we have uh, an injury because we have a system that is not working. So what does a leader have to do to make sure there is psychological safety in the workplace? Well, according to Amy Edmondson, a leader needs to show vulnerability and humility. A leader needs to be able to say, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? I didn't do this so well. How can we make it better? And this is the quickest way to make um, a place at work feel like we can communicate with one another. And remember, communicate is sh communicating is sharing, exchanging, bonding, and being innovative. So dealing with conflicts is something we are not usually keen on doing. A lot of people avoid conflicts. And by having an effective communication, we can definitely avoid a lot of conflicting situations. So first, we need to have a structure an institution with psychological safety. And if we don't, then we need to build it up so that we can actually make um, our workplace conflict free. Uh, because conflicts will always happen, but at least we can have less of it. So I will not stress enough the importance of listening. listening. Any meeting should have 50% speaking and 50% listening on each part. We need to build trust. We need to reduce misunderstanding by having very clear, clarified, concise, straight to the point, accurate, backed by evidence communication. We need to develop knowledge. We need to encourage empathy and emotional intelligence. And this will improve work relationship and leadership skills as a result. We're going to listen to the news and we'll get back and wrap our discussion on communication straight after. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. 
Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC reports that one in three primary schools has no male teachers. The study by the Warwick Business School says the proportion of schools without a male classroom teacher has increased in the last 12 months. The report's author, Dr Joshua Fullard, said this lack of male teachers was bad for pupils. Dr Fullard is Assistant Professor of Behavioural Science at Warwick Business School. He went on to say that there is a large body of research that shows students benefit from being educated by a teacher with certain similarities to them. The report also found that schools in special measures are less likely to have a male classroom teacher. In total, the report found that 24.3% of all state schools in England had no male classroom teachers. The report called for teachers' pay to be raised by more than 10% and for a merit-based reduction in tuition fees for university-led teacher training to be introduced. Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy for Askell Union, said more needed to be done to attract men and women alike, and the spokesperson for the DfE said the department wanted the profession to be inclusive. Northeast Child Poverty Commission website reports that new figures published by the DfE confirm that more than three in ten pupils across the North East are now registered for free school meals. This is an increase from January 2022. It remains the highest proportion of any part of England. The figure of 30.4% is compared with 18.8% of pupils in the South East and 19.4% in the East of England. The England-wide rate is 23.8%. All regions have seen a significant increase in the number and share of children eligible for free school meals over the last seven years. The Guardian reports children's enjoyment of writing has fallen to crisis point following research completed by the National Literacy Trust. The charity says an alarmingly low level of children and young people enjoy writing. The research was conducted across the UK. 34.6% of young people aged 8 to 18 said that they enjoy writing in their free time. Although three in four children starting school said that they enjoyed writing, this dropped to one in four by the age of 16. The Children's and Young People's Writing Report is drawn from over 70,000 responses from children to the charity's annual literacy survey. The number of children who say they enjoy writing in their free time has dropped by 12.2% in the 13 years since the survey began. Young people do report that they write to improve mental health and well-being and to support causes or issues they care about. Full details can be found on the National Literacy Trust website. 
Finally, Microsoft News reports that Taiwan has made the move to use Generative Artificial Intelligence, or AI, to help students learn English. Teachers in the country often report that students read and write better than they speak English, as shyness and a lack of practice can hinder oral communication. A new chatbot has been funded by Taiwan's Ministry of Education to help pupils get the practice they need. The Cooley bot allows pupils to speak person to AI and build up conversation on preset topics. It also assesses punctuation, accuracy and fluency. Taiwan has set a goal of becoming bilingual in Chinese and English by 2030. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to ask you a question. Do you use presentation software to help you deliver your lessons? 99% of you will be saying yes at this point. Have you ever considered how many presentations the average pupil in your school sees in a day, in a week, or even in their entire school life? Considering a typical secondary education, with a bit of rough maths, over a week with five lessons a day, there's potential to see 25 presentations. That's 100 presentations in just four weeks. I've left out any additional presentations like assemblies and visitors, etc. Working on a 38-week year, that's a whopping 950 presentations a year. That's a lot of presentations. Now, let's throw in some schools have a standardised slide theme and set layouts. Now we have 950 exactly the same lesson beginnings. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or are they being presented with the same visual stimulus day in, day out, simply causing them to fly below the radar. If you're like me, you're now thinking, how do I make my presentation stand out? Is there a presentation software out there that's better than all the rest? In my humble opinion, this is like the visualizer versus HD webcam argument. What works for some does not work for others because all subjects are not the same, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but please bear in mind that what works for one teacher may not work for another. A search for free presentation software returns no less than 24 apps I recognise. Some are interactive like Mentimeter, others have more dynamic transitions like Prezi. Most also have additional features and add-ons you can purchase. I know what you're saying, come on Steve, which is the best though? Well the answer is simple, but I've run out of time, so I'll have to tell you next week. In the meantime, please consider the number of presentations a typical pupil is subjected to in your school. Does this need to change, or does it work? And how do you know? Do you have a preferred presentation software and what are the features that make it stand out for you? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you for listening to the news, dear listeners. Um, now we're going to just briefly mention what we do when we deal with conflicts, if we still want to preach the effective communication. Um, so dealing with conflicts is really tricky and it's something that is highly emotional. So we need to have a few uh, guidelines. So for any conflicting situation, you need to be able to maybe 
ask for someone to have a meeting with you and I would definitely prepare a communication plan as I described earlier. Make sure you have everything written down, some evidence and also some suggestions of how to make the conflict, um, how to solve the conflict. It is important you might also want to get some help so ask other people if they could maybe be there as a mediator. If the conflict can't be resolved this way, I would definitely advise to talk with the person you have a conflict with first, in any case. Then focus on behavior and not personalities. Try to remain neutral, listen as much as possible. Identify the points of agreement first, and then go over the points of disagreement. Prioritize the areas of conflict and develop a plan to work on a solution that implies that everybody's working together on it. Follow through the plan that you've made before the meeting and try and see if that works. In case the conflict can't be resolved, I would always advise to, um, to reach out to your manager and to make sure the uh, human resource officer in your institution is aware of the issue and that you can ask them maybe to mediate. Establishing conflict management processes is important and every school should have principles or policy on the matter. Now, if the school doesn't have it, you might end up in a difficult position, particularly if you are on the bottom of the hierarchy in that institution. So I would always advise to resolve the conflict before we get to a stage where you need external um, help. But in any case, you need to be able to find out what you can do about this on the website, the government website. So I'll give you an example. If you find that you have tried everything, you might need to approach your line manager. If that fails, you might have to become a whistleblower. So you can only be a whistleblower if you're a worker and you report a certain type of wrongdoing. Now, if you look on the gov.uk website, wrongdoing is criminal offence. Someone's health and safety is in danger. There's a risk of or actual damage to the environment or to someone's life. There's a miscarriage of justice. The institution you work for is breaking the law. And you believe someone is covering up wrongdoing. So these are the only accounts that make you protected as a whistleblower. Uh, being a whistleblower is illegal and uh, you are entitled to raise your concern about any incident. You should be treated fairly and you shouldn't lose your job. Sadly, even though you're protected by the law, you need to know that you're in a vulnerable position if you become a whistleblower. So contact uh, legal um, institutions before you make any move. If um, you think that you are going to be a whistleblower, you need to document the facts and get as much evidence as you can possibly do. You need to stay confidential and not tell anyone unless it's a legal uh, a lawyer. Now, there are complaints that you can't um, be protected about, and it's because it's not considered as whistleblowing, and these are personal grievances, and in the case of bullying, harassment, and discrimination. And in that case, you're not covered by the whistleblowing law. 
then you have to check your current institution's employer's grievance policy. But before you do anything, contact your trade union, contact a legal team before you voice out anything, because you would be in a vulnerable position. I'm conscious of time running. Communication is fascinating. It's a big subject and we've only started talking about it today in this podcast. I hope I gave you some useful tips. The only thing I would say is that if we practice uh, being clear and patient, trying to do 50% speaking and 50% listening, we should be on the way to having an effective communication. I'm always delighted to present my research with you, dear listeners, and next week will be my 40th podcast, so I'm going to try and do something a little bit different and a little bit special for next week, because it's quite an anniversary, isn't it? So it was a delight talking about communication with you using the medium of podcasting, which is a very new uh, recent uh, communication tool which I enjoy thoroughly, and I hope you do too. Have a lovely week. I hope you enjoy the sunshine. Happy summer days coming. So thank you, dear listener.